Hello there, you're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We'll also be doing a franchise retrospective on everybody's favorite whip-slinging archaeologist, Indiana Jones, to help us dig through the four movies before the finale in Dial of Destiny. We have certified indie fanatic Ross Widener, who will be joining us later in the episode. Let's jump into the news, some big industry news on the horizon with a potential SAG-AFTRA strike. So negotiations are still ongoing. The deadline for those to finish are July 12th. If not, then the union will go on strike, which of course would bring the entire industry to a halt because they would be joining the WGA, which is already in a strike that's been going on for many weeks now but if the actors aren't able to work then of course that means anything that's in production also needs to stop in addition to anything that is just in the writing and pre-production phase so that would be huge everything every single production in hollywood would come to a standstill yeah imagine if the editors went on strike your <laughs> production screwed too yeah yeah uh last time sag went on strike was in 2000 with a commercial actors strike and then this would be apparently the first dual strike since 1960 when here's a little fun fact for you the sag president ronald reagan yes that ronald reagan he called for the union to go on strike alongside the wga so crazy over 60 years ago would be last dual strike and we potentially have another one here. It seems the uh, trifecta strike was averted. That was when DGA also was at risk for going on strike. But apparently they've struck a deal like a few weeks ago, earlier this month. I guess it was in June. Um, so at least the uh, the producers won't have to deal with that. But either way, it would still be huge for WGA and SAG to go on strike together. And then hopefully that would lead to a very quick resolution of these negotiations and good deals for the writers and the actors. But we will follow this story and see, come July 12th, whether or not there will be that dual strike. Yeah, imagine being a producer right now. That shit must suck. (laughs) For real. The amount of hair they are losing must be monumental. Oh yeah, for sure. In other news... Greta Gerwig is now attached to write and direct two Narnia films for Netflix. There's not much we know outside of that. I, I'm curious to see, like, if they're trying to adapt the entire book series into two movies. If they're just going to pick two of the books. If they're going to take the the Chronicles of Narnia, like the the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and just split that into two movies. I'm I'm not sure. But there's a lot of story to be told with that book franchise, and I'm curious to see what they do with it. Yes, I'm also curious to see what how they approach it. Greta Gerwig, of course, is a great writer and director. And coming off of Barbie, we were wondering what would be her next project. Would it be a smarter <clears throat> film or would it be her truly going into franchise movie making? And it seems like she is going to franchise movie making with Narnia. This particular franchise as well, though, I, I'm wondering why 
we're going for the reboot here because it had a full trilogy of films and i don't remember much of the last film i don't know if i ever actually saw that third one but i do remember the first two and i definitely liked the first one a lot as a kid so i don't i question whether we need to like do those same films over again like adapt those specific books lion witch and wardrobe and prince caspian all that Mm -hmm. it's also strange because yeah they're doing films it's not like they're going to try and make it a television series so it does seem like it's just we're treading we're doing a retread when a re-dawn tread or nice that was great that was a good one thank you um so yeah again we trust in greta gerwig but it is a curious choice for what to do after Barbie, but also good. Um, it's another good sign for Barbie because she's already getting this huge two picture deal mm-hmm. before Barbie has even come out. We still don't really know how I mean, the hype's do, real, bro. We talked about it before that it does seem like it's going to be one of the bigger hits of the summer. So, and which is desperately needed after a string of disappointments and flops, which we'll get to in the uh, box office section, but sure i mean if this is what she wants to do with her career two narnia films i'll be there i guess i'll see it but curious mm-hmm. choice not what i expected yep and speaking of barbie we have more news from mattel films about daniel kaluuya's barney it has been described as an a24 type film for adults a surrealist work kind of like the work of charlie kaufman and spike jones so think of like being john malkovich sort of surrealism I'm glad you included this in the script because if you hadn't, I would have brought this up anyway. <laughs> as something to talk about real quick because I, when I read this, I first thought it was a joke. And so I looked it up and it led me down a rabbit hole of all of the films that are planned to be in work by Mattel films. Have you, have you looked at the full list of movies? I saw that there was something like 50 and I was like, there's no way and it also, is kill me insane on their wikipedia page there's only like 15 so far but it's possible that they're getting up to 50 there's obviously the the hot wheels movie being produced by uh jj abrams which is in itself very very odd there is a major matt mason movie which is the the little astronaut action figure that's going to be uh tom hanks there's a really a Rock'em Sock'em robots movie which is the one where the robots are boxing and when you hit them their head goes flying up that yeah. uh, Vin Diesel is attached to. <laughs> there is uh, a Viewmaster movie, which is just literally the thing that you put in front of your head that you like click and it changes like what you can see. They've got a whole movie based on that. A Magic 8-Ball movie. This is... There's <laughs> there no is, way. And then the, the creme de la creme, the, the most odd out there, is an Uno movie, which has been described as a comedy murder mystery type thriller being produced and probably starring Lil Yachty. What? <laughs> it's that real. Is, it's real, I swear. That's crazy. Yeah, it's getting harder and harder. There's a thing like not the onion, which gives those headlines, which are real headlines, but they seem like they should be a joke in the onion. It's pretty much the same thing with like movie news now. Like you can't parse out whether or not we're, we're living is Barney is real. We're living in the, in the actual BoJack Horseman. Like, it's becoming bizarre. That is so true. Yeah. It's so fun. <laughs> like, when we saw the trailer for Sofia Coppola's uh, Priscilla biopic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. good. 
Oh man. So what a what a uh, what a time to live in for filmmaking. What a bizarre, bizarre world. All those other Mattel flicks seem like just awful. They're gonna be flops. I imagine half of them probably won't even get into production, to be honest. But this Barney one sounds what an unhinged uh, pitch for it. I think it and could be good. Yeah. A movie about like millennial watch- angst starring their like the, the hero of their childhood, Barney himself. I think yeah, when good. I first heard it was going to be like a darker thing, I thought it was going to be the the whole story of the wasn't there a thing like the urban legend Barney was hiding drugs in his suit or something like that. The oh, Barney that was the actor on really dark. Set. It is, but I thought that's where they were going to go with it. If they do that, I'd 100 percent be down. I think I'm down for what they're describing. I think it could be good. I mean, mm-hmm. Barbie's already PG-13. Why not make Barney PG-13? True. Very true. They did say that, yeah, it's not going to be a R-rated film, but it would be more for adults, not like a Mario being obviously aimed for kids. This one would be for adults. I grew up with Barney. so I like I like what Mattel Films is doing. I like where they're going. <laughs> they're, they're thinking outside the box here. I can't wait for the Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie. I know. That one at least uh, is pretty funny. Um, with Vin Diesel, too. Amazing. Yeah, right. Great now pick. we can do our box office breakdown for June 30th to July 2nd. We're going to start with Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. In its opening weekend, made $60 million domestically and had a worldwide opening of $130 million. That is significantly lower than what Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull did back in 2008 when its domestic opening was $100 million. So... Not, not very good at all. Mm-hmm. Very disappointing. Very disappointing. So you're not satisfied with this for no selection on the roster? No, not quite. Yeah, it's um, it's been bad this summer. I remember at the beginning of the year, we were all hyped for it, having all these big releases, and it's just been back to back disappointments, coming well under the projections. Certainly, at the beginning of the year, what we had anticipated these films getting. I mean, you can only stuff. you can you can only show audiences the same things so many times before they just don't want to see it anymore. You got to give them something new. They should have done an Indiana Jones five, but the movie is about short round, and it should have been <laughs> Kihi Kwan. That's what it should have been. I agree, but this went into production before his resurgence with everything ever all at once. So. I agree. Yeah, they, it was, they just didn't think to look for him. <laughs> Bastards. For real. But yeah, that obviously would have been much more interesting and compelling of a draw for this. Again, it's just hard to sell an 80-year-old Indiana Jones. It's really so, hard. So we'll we'll talk about all that uh, later on. Not necessarily a review of Dial of Destiny, but you know, the approach of having this fifth and final outing for Indy and whether it came way too late. So yeah. It seems like, at least for most audiences, it did. They were not clamoring to see what was one of the biggest franchises of the 80s and ever. So, mm-hmm. alas. Elemental coming in second place with 12.1 million, having another spectacular hold, 34%. So, that film is having some really solid legs. That's that's good to hear. We have Across the Spider-Verse with 12 million that brings its worldwide total to 600 million, which is phenomenal, especially for an animated film. No hard feelings with 7.8 million. Transformers Rise of the Beasts, 7.3 million. 
debuting this weekend, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, 5.5 million. Extremely disappointing flop for DreamWorks. Good. The Little Mermaid, 5.3. What's your vendetta against Ruby Gilman? I didn't look that good. I don't know. I guess I don't really have a vendetta. I just thought it looked dumb, but it could be good. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Uh, after that was The Little Mermaid with 5.3 million. The Flash, 5.2 million. It has just squeaked past 100 million domestic. How horrible. Asteroid City, 4.2 million. And running out the top 10. Guardians, 3, 2 million. Now we can round out our box office talk with predictions for this upcoming weekend, July 7th to July 9th. Of course, the question on everybody's mind is what is Indiana Jones going to do in its second weekend? Ryan, do you think it will have good legs or do you think there's going to be a steep drop off like those superhero movies we see so often? Uh, I don't think it'll have as steep of a drop off as the superhero films, but it won't be a spectacular hold when that you would certainly be hoping for to see this film recover. I think it'll probably get $25 million in its second weekend. I was going to say 28 so we'll see who's closer. All right, and then there's also some new releases. Insidious, The Red Door, and Joyride. So one horror film, like the fourth or fifth mm. or something in that Insidious franchise. I believe fourth. I could be wrong. And then Joyride, which would be a another raunchy comedy, studio comedy coming to mm. theaters in the summer. So... With Insidious, $18 million. I really don't know how this franchise is going to hold up. You know, yeah. we've been seeing all these disappointments for these. At the same time, other it is the only horror movie in theaters right now, and it is part of a very popular franchise. I think it's going to crack 20 Okay, I can see that. And then Joyride, I'm thinking $10 million. It should I'm at least get double digits. Ooh. I don't think it's going to hit double digits. All right, then we shall see how that goes for the new releases. But Indiana Jones should retain the top spot next week all right and now we can start our discussion of indiana jones doing our franchise retrospective and now we are joined by ross widener thanks hello, for hello. coming on i'm back <laughs> indeed we had to get you back for the indie show mm-hmm. so yeah let's just start off and talk about what our relationship with the franchise is and Ross, let's just go to you because you were clamoring for getting on the the indie special. So, oh yeah, I yeah. love Indiana Jones. I've loved Indiana Jones for essentially my whole life. I feel like that was one of the first like these movies are still the early ones are still PG, but like intense, like pretty intense PG. So mm-hmm. I feel like these were some of the first like action kind of adventure films that I got to watch. Um. And I just like fell in love with them totally. Um, I think they're they're all like so unique and like special in their own little ways. Even even when they're not like great as films and like cinema, like they they just have so much like fun like interwoven in them. And I just I think they're great. Yeah, I think the defining feature for it is just it's sheer entertainment like Mm -hmm. there's almost no way you can't be having fun while watching these films they're just so fun they lean into the silliness the goofiness a lot of times i mean it's just it's a good time and that's really what you want sometimes just to have a nice fun escapist adventure these films are absolutely the best at doing that 
Dylan, what about you, your relationship with this franchise? I know it's one of your favorites. Oh, man. I mean, it has been in my life for as long as I can remember. I can't remember a time where I didn't know the Indiana Jones movies. They they have just become like a staple in my idea of like what film is. Just this this masterclass in storytelling, in entertainment, in action, in staging, in in dialogue, in character making, in world building, in plot structure. I remember I remember having the the indiana jones legos and yes. building like all of those different sets and then i would i would like make my own indiana jones storylines with the characters and like with the sets that they had because the, the the we're going to talk about it to death but like the action set pieces are incredible so they made great legos and then you could just do so much with that with like your own story as a kid and like create what you want i mean just flawless flawless filmmaking absolutely phenomenal i mean there's just such good, good movies, start to finish, all of them. Just, and and it's just so exciting to watch something like that as a kid and being able to recognize like why certain things are so good in these movies, even though you're a child, but then still be entertained at the same time. Like it's it's engaging with its audience on every single level, and it's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, that's great. I remember as well that you had those Lego sets because didn't yes. we in that one, our short film that we made way back when we had the little Lego figures and one of them had the indie <laughs> hat on it. Yes. Correct. <laughs> Mine had put it in as Indiana an Easter Jones egg. Hat. Yep. I still <laughs> so, have that Lego somewhere. Oh yeah. I wonder, did I keep mine or did I, you keep have it yours. I don't you? know where okay. you put it. I have to find it. It should you be better. on like my dresser somewhere. Um, but yeah, I do remember that distinctly. Did you guys play the Lego games? Oh, Lego Indiana sure. Jones. Oh, the yeah. Star Wars ones were better, but the Lego Indiana Jones, the first Lego Indiana Jones was very good. Mm-hmm. The second one had this weird. It's the one where they included Kingdom of the Crystal Skull as part of the story. They had this weird <laughs> thing where they had a hub, which was just a giant like patch of Lego, like almost like a like it, when you, you know you know when you load Minecraft, where you have like the flat world version. It's just a flat Minecraft world that you could start on. Mm-hmm. It was like that, but with Lego, and it was just this big open space of lego where you could just build stuff on top of it and i don't think any other lego game did that and i don't know why they chose indiana jones to be like the testing ground for that functionality but it had moments it was fun the first indiana jones lego game was awesome and then i also had an indiana jones wii game that was an original story that i don't think i ever finished the game because it wasn't a very good game but like it was like it was it wasn't an original Indiana Jones story, and then Emperor's I had Indiana Tomb or whatever it was. Maybe is that I it? don't even know. Probably, and then I had Indiana Jones like like little books. They were like maybe a hundred hundred fifty page books of Indiana Jones doing original stories. There was one where he's like fighting a Nazi with a robot arm or something. Oh my god! It was cool. They were cool books. Have you had any of you? Have either of you seen uh, the Young Indiana Jones like TV? Yeah. Series. Yes. Oh I my so. god! I started rewatching it just to like I don't know. I was on my Indiana Jones kick, but it goes crazy. The amount of like historical figures this man meets, wild. <laughs> I did. Um, I didn't end up watching that, and I never have watched any of that. But I was. I think it was on. It's on Disney Plus, right? Because I, I was going through recently going through all the films obviously and then i saw that and i was scrolling through the episodes and they're each 
like their own movie almost like they're hour 20 hour 30 minute episodes mm, and there's awesome. a bunch of them like there's two seasons right two full seasons that's so amazing. i was shocked to see that there was that whole little chapter of indian jones i didn't know about but obviously the games i knew of i never actually played them though lego star wars was the only really one i got into um and then the the books as well i just i saw some about that recently too going through my deep dive of indiana jones lore and all the mm. backstory behind the productions and whatnot so i mean yeah this was a huge franchise yeah. that had its own show had its own books a bunch of toy lines obviously and then lego sets things like that so massive iconic character and franchise um, and part of what makes it so special what burned into the consciousness was the talent behind and on camera spielberg and lucas and harrison ford what a trinity there i mean that's amazing and then the fact that it's it was all meant to be a riff on the 30s and 40s adventure serials that spielberg and lucas grew up on and then also them trying to make it their own james bond it's just fascinating that that was the approach they were taking to it. Like they were approaching it as like, Oh, these just nothing fluff B movies that we grew up on. Let's try and do that and pair with like a James Bond thing and just go out and have fun with it. They were making B movies and yet they've made just the absolute best of the best when it comes to action adventure films. The filmmaking is just out of this world. We'll talk about that a lot for each of these films, but it's just, it's so funny that Spielberg and Lucas, they're so talented, so incredible, that even when they're trying to make B-movies, they make some of the most influential works of cinema ever. So, amazing stuff. So let's dive into it. Starting off with none other than Raiders of the Lost Ark, 1981. The one that kicked it all off. What do y'all think of this one? One of, one of the best movies ever made. I mean, hands down. <laughs> I know it's Absolutely. your favorite. It's like top yeah. five, right? <laughs> I think it's top five for me. Top five movies of all time. Yeah. It's just so, so, so flawless. Not only is it entertaining, but from like a directing standpoint, it's just like a masterclass. It's Steven Spielberg at the height of his powers, for sure. Have you seen, have you, do you know what Steven Soderbergh did with Rage of the Lost Ark? I do know what he did. <laughs> It's crazy. So Steven Soderbergh took the whole movie and he oh. desaturated it completely to black and white and then took out all of the audio and dialogue and replaced it with like the the Trent Reznor social score network for the social score. network. Yeah. Yeah. And just <laughs> Which it was with a that. funny choice to throw yeah. that on top of everything. <laughs> and he put it on his website just so you could like focus entirely on the way that Spielberg frames the characters, the way that the the lighting works in the shadows. And that it's to show that, like, even though it's now like pretty much a black and white silent film, it's still very clear what's going on. It's very concise. And I think there's just so much to be learned from that of like, sometimes it's better to just make a movie very, very clear and get your point across very, very well in very, very intricate and specific staging, blocking, uh, framing and all of those things just just to, to tell a better story. And it's just so like I watched maybe like 15 minutes of it last week of the black and white version. I watched the uh, 
the the bar fight sequence in black and white it's just so good even though it's it's so hectic and chaotic you can very clearly tell where all the characters are what's going on at all times who's fighting who i mean who the bad guys are who the good guys are who you should be rooting for i mean it's just fantastic just so so good so 100 yeah that is a a fun little experiment that Zodberger did and i mean yeah even with just watching it back recently it is kind of crazy how amazing every single shot every single sequence looks like yeah and this was again going to the point of like they were not trying to make something that would be considered one of the best of all time or like the standard or the benchmark for this type of film like they were just trying to make something as efficiently as possible but the way that he ended up going about that was to make such a well-constructed film where in any shot so much can be going on and you know with his wonders particularly he i think for you you say dylan ray you're like oh wonders nowadays mm-hmm. they're too showy and ostentatious and yeah it's too easy as well it to pull the purpose off. of the wonder if you're just yeah. going to do a tracking shot where you just follow the characters what like the whole point of a wonder is you're doing it for a reason everything you should do editing wise or and framing wise has to have a choice behind it and if the choice is just i think wonders are cool or this would look cool because it's one shot what is the point beyond that spielberg whenever he does his one takes like a good example in Raiders itself is the the scene where Marcus comes over to talk to Indiana Jones about doing he's like at his house and Indiana Jones is in like a bathrobe or something. That whole scene is pretty much one take all the way from the front door to into his study and whatnot. And it's to cut down on the intricacy of the editing. It's to allow the actors to breathe. And then in the water itself, he is basically moving from shot to shot rather than just tracking the actors. And it just it makes it flow so well. Exactly. That's like his approach is he'll have a bunch of different frames essentially that he moves through in one single correct. take. He does that with Jaws in that boat scene as well. Mm-hmm. It's another and, very uh, famous example of that. In uh, what's the scene where where Tom Hanks comes to like the Russian pri- or the French prison or whatever to go and see uh, Leonardo DiCaprio? They do a very long one where he's going back and forth between all the prison guards and stuff, and it's also very good. Yeah. So he's a master at that. So even things like that, which, again, part of it's like, oh, we can cut down on certain setups. Um, and so that'll allow him to move quicker and mm-hmm. get the film in on time and on budget. But it also allows him to create something very visually compelling where you yeah, that, that Marcus Brody example you gave of it's just them doing a conversation. Nothing crazy really is going on, mm-hmm. but you're so locked in because ultimately even if you don't recognize it as you're going through that um, shot, it's just mm-hmm. the one take. So you're there with those characters that full time as Indy's learning all this information and getting brought into this, this new adventure. So yeah, just time and time again, it's just off the charts in this. Another thing I want to point out rewatching this was the, the shadows, like the work oh, yeah. of the shadows in this, not just on like anytime it's on, um, the characters' faces or whatnot, but as part of action too, like that bar fight, mm-hmm. the way that the shadows are cast on the wall, and that's how he'll be able to both a dispense information, but b just give like a very visually compelling um, 
version of events rather than again if we're just seeing see it as we normally would of the person getting shot or a person getting snuck up behind them um instead we can see that like on the walls which is the shadows it makes it look very interesting but there's just something mm-hmm. about that whole yeah. bar fight too that is just so well constructed like I love my jaw the, uh, was dropped the entire time watching it. Yeah, I love the the part where Indiana Jones and the one guy are struggling for the gun, and then the the Nazi guy is like shoots him, shoots them both, and then it cuts to like the shadows on the wall, and Indiana Jones ducks away, and you see the shadow of the other guy getting shot. It's just, it's just so wildly entertaining. It's so much mm-hmm. fun. It's incredible. Absolutely, but yeah, his use of shadows is something I want to be on the lookout for in his other films mm-hmm. one day when we inevitably do the spielberg director analysis that's gonna be the four analysis. parts five parts yeah. seven parts of that <laughs> we can uh dig into that more but yeah that whole sequence and just the way he's able to yeah take a what could be a boring plain approach to depicting that action he always finds a way to punch it up mm-hmm. and make it unique and visually compelling so yeah, that stuff is just fantastic. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I think one of the biggest standouts for me, just about Raiders, is the introduction of this now like iconic score. Like all of these like musical elements that are brought into this film just throughout like different dramatic moments from like Indy's like main theme to this like spectral sort of like holy theme that goes around like the arc itself it's just iconic and i had the opportunity to watch this one in theaters recently um and it just can i swear on this is it okay yeah yeah fuck yeah it kicks ass like it's it's just a great time um uh, there's just so many different iconic moments from this film just from like the plane fight to when he like falls in the snake pit and he has the the rod and it's he's finally figuring out you know where the arc itself is it's just like you said it's just a master class like it's perfect there's just such a great precision to how Spielberg moves in between these like insane scenes and just just able to flow um and he just travels by map all the time and it's perfect and it fits and it works and it's just great. I love it. So true. The character of Indiana Jones, obviously being Pratt's light by Harrison Ford, but being thought of as again, that initial template was, Oh, let's do a James Bond type thing where we can just have a character send him on multiple adventures over and over again. Mm-hmm. And Indiana Jones, of course, one of the most iconic movie heroes ever. So what do you guys think about this character, Indiana Jones? is so special. It makes people latch onto him so much. I think a lot of it is on Harrison Ford's shoulders, him being so charismatic and so charming throughout all the movies, as well as funny and, and just very, very like grounded and real, as opposed to, you know, you look at Sean Connery as James Bond, he's very heightened and sort of, I mean, he's charismatic as well. But he's he's very much like a, a character, like he's a heightened character. When you look at Indiana Jones, a lot of it's very 
grounded and real for Harrison Ford to be playing. He's very much like a, a real person in this world who's encountering these things in an actual sense. And so he, he takes what is already kind of a wacky heightened script and he grounds a little bit, which I think makes it more believable and makes it more exciting for the audience that something like this could be happening and that he could be the person. It's like a, like a Hitchcockian sense of like, he is just this normal archeologist who's being thrust into this crazy world. And he is, he's rolling with the punches as they go along and just trying to stop Nazis from using an ancient religious power to take over the world. But he's just a guy trying to find a treasure. You know, he's just a treasure hunter. And that's just cool. It's just a lot of cool, grounded things. And Harrison Ford is just great in the role. Totally. I think I found it really interesting on rewatching. Um, just trying to figure out, like, his, his, like, ethics, like, his moral code about this stuff. And the way that he he bends his own roles to sort of, like, get to the right conclusion of, you know, getting an artifact in a museum or to safety away from the Nazis. Um, and I think, you know, like you said, like, he's just incredibly charismatic and has this sort of, like, doesn't take shit from anybody attitude that I think a lot of people are able to relate to and just kind of is able to figure out situations that are scary and stressful for the average archaeologist, but with, you know, mm -hmm. poise. Yeah. He's also just so realistic in the sense that he's so obsessive over these things. Like he's, he's very smart and he, he's very knowledgeable, but he's very obsessive, at least in Raiders and in, uh, 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 last crusade he's very much like obsessive over these objects of trying to acquire them and keep them despite like everything telling him that they are troublesome that he should stay away he's just very much all about the search the quest and that kind of ties back into like the treasure of the sierra madre with uh, uh oh my god what the fuck is his name Bogart? uh yeah humphrey bogart's character in that movie being so obsessive over the gold not only not only are they visually alike in the sense that they have similar hats but like they just the characters themselves whereas humphrey bogart's character is a total asshole and nobody likes his character in that movie indiana jones is a very likable version that also happens to be obsessive over these objects and is has such a strong desire to find them like he is he is uh he goes in and he finds out where the ark is and he's going to dig it out and then he finds marion and instead of rescuing her instinctually he leaves her there so that they don't realize that Indiana Jones is in the camp and so that he can dig for the Ark and it bites him in the ass. Yeah. I think what you guys are touching on there absolutely is true. The whole point of like Harrison Ford's charisma, certainly that is part of what makes it so iconic. Who is the, do you guys know uh, the actor that was meant to Tom originally Selleck. play this? Tom Selleck. Yeah, yeah. Tom Selleck. So again, another charismatic performer very handsome he would have done well in the role but with harrison ford i mean it's like the best one you could have possibly chosen for it mm -hmm. so that elevates it for sure but then just going to the concept of the character the i love the approach of yeah it's just some archaeologist some professor uh, but then also goes on these crazy adventures to hunt the treasure mm -hmm. that's just a very fun concept uh, that they play around with a lot uh, especially in the first and third movies, um, very fun. And then the 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 way that they craft the look of the character too. You mentioned the hat that paired with the bullwhip, um, 
Like, it's an it odd does. choice. It is, but it works so well. Like it does, it does. Yeah, I don't know who came up with that one in particular, but it Should does. It just fits perfectly. Like it's insane. Um, because obviously it has like plot functions, but it just looks cool. Mm-hmm. Like just seeing that on his hip the whole time. It's great. So yeah, there's something to all of that combined together, works so well. But then as you pointed out too, his obsession, um, his sort of interesting and not entirely consistent code on like what does he think about these objects and artifacts and going through these ancient cultures and dealing with these ancient respected totems or again artifacts and then dredging them up that is pretty fascinating but then he's also not flawless like he has the fear of snakes which is always fun and usually played for last but then can also add to the tension of things raiders i think does that the absolute best Mm. um and then he also as you pointed out like yeah he leaves mirin at one point or at least just delays his rescue of her so that he can try and get to that uh which is objectively wrong yeah she's in the custody of nazis (laughs) and he said just wait here okay just sit tight i'll get you Um, later i'll get you later (laughs) so yeah he's not he also a bunch of times like in that plane brawl specifically which i mean anyone facing that um brawler would be uh getting beat up i would say but yeah he gets knocked down and beat up and makes mistakes and yeah, he just isn't the absolute flawless hero. Um, that especially looking back now on like, him being so iconic, being a like male hero of the '80s, you'd expect him to be more in the image of like Rambo or Arnold Schwarzenegger. How again, they're just like impossibly strong and masculine and impervious, but he's not. So I think that does allow him to be human uh, and allow people to connect to him more. But he does still have all those heroic traits. You see him coming in with that score behind him, and you're just like, yes. Like, he fits the hero mold. But again, he's not someone that can't take damage or can't make mistakes. So, yeah, I think the construction there of that character and the execution of it, of course, having Harrison Ford being the person that's embodying that, it just works so well. It's perfect. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely just awesome. Now, moving on from the character of Indiana Jones, we also get an introduction to Steven Spielberg and George Lucas's idea of like set pieces and using those set pieces to heighten the action and create these insane moments in the movie. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark is just the fucking best. It's so good. It's so every good. every single set piece in this movie is an absolute banger every single one the ball chase in the beginning everything leading up to that in the beginning and then getting chased by that ball is just iconic and incredible rolling boulder yeah yep. amazing getting chased by by uh the the indigenous people back into the river where the the plane is waiting for him god i mean you, i could just go on every single set piece is incredible <laughs> the the chase in the city the, the bar fight like you said uh the 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 plane brawl has always been my favorite. Uh, there's something about it. It's just so perfectly choreographed. And every single second, something else is going wrong. And it's getting more and more difficult to manage. And then things just like at the very end, it's like taking a deck of cards and just like like doing the perfect like little shuffle. Everything just sort of falls perfectly in the line. And they're able to get out of it just in the nick of time. 
Have you guys ever seen the Indiana Jones show at Hollywood Studios? Yes, I was just thinking oh, about man. that. I That's love crazy. watching that. the The whole thing with the plane is just so good. There, it's so well done. <laughs> man, and then the guy gets chopped up by the blades. So cool. Yes. Yeah, amazing. One of the <laughs> best moments pay off in the there. movie. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. I agree. It's it's just wild to see like every single one of these concepts is great but then yeah the execution of them like that plane brawl there's so many ways in the shooting and editing of it that it could have just become muddled and incoherent and all the tension and drama and fun of it would have been just completely destroyed Mm -hmm. but with spielberg at the helm it just comes across so well and again it's like how do you choose between all these different amazing moments and set pieces which is the best because you could choose any of them and you'd have a great argument for it so Mm. yeah i think it's that's part of also what sets this apart as such a classic is each of them they're so fun like all these other ones maybe there's a a set piece or two that's like yeah okay but this one every single one of them are just top notch Mm -hmm. all-time classics I think my favorite though has to be the desert chase with all the vehicle, like the convoy chase. Oh my God. Just start to finish every single bit of like every single thing that he has to go through in that entire chase is absolutely insane. The, the climbing on all the vehicles, the punching in the driver's seat, the getting shot in the arm, getting thrown out the front window and almost run over, and then climbing under the vehicle and then getting back around and throwing so the guy good. out through the front and then <laughs> oh, running him over instead. So good. Oh my god. I mean, I remember having the Lego set for that little convoy truck and like the, 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 the Nazi car in front too, and then like recreating that scene as much as I could to try and understand like the thought process of why they would do it this way, why, how is this raising the stakes? Just like going through those motions and thinking about how incredible it is, start to finish, just amazing. The, when he's driving the actual truck and he's bumping into all the motorcycles and just knocking them off, then he bumps into a car and it flies off a cliff and explodes. Oh God! I mean, you just you never see action like that in the eighties, like like not not so raw and realistic and, and rough and so well done and shot so well i mean oh my god how do they how do they shoot that in the 80s how do they do that who knows but i mean it holds up incredibly well because so much of it is practical it's real like those stunts that they're doing are what actual people are doing and i was also wondering too how much of harrison ford was doing that stuff because they say he does a lot of his stunts on these films but there's no way, like, he was under no that way they had that man going underneath that car. There's like no that. way he was under that truck. That was a yeah. that was a stun man. But I mean, you see his face like he's on the front of the truck when it's like mm-hmm. bending when the the pipes are bending and he's falling back. That's definitely him. Yeah. And then his so, oh what is it his his shirt or something gets caught on the on the pipe and he's just like getting stuck there. Oh god, so good, <laughs> so good. And then yeah, the whole ending as well with the Ark of the Covenant how the Nazis end up capturing Indy and Marion, and then they're going to try and open the thing up. But then Indiana knows to avert his eyes and tells Marion to do the same, like, close your eyes, make sure you don't look at it. And the Nazis do look at it, and they what get a, absolutely melted. What melt. a face melter. That's crazy. Oh, exactly. 
Special effects are just so good. Oh my gosh. I remember watching like the special features on that DVD as a kid just to like Mm. figure out how they did that like wax burning head. And it's just crazy. Like the the amount of detail that would have to go into it, like Mm -hmm. just for the first frame to just immediately be like blown away. Yeah. Just wild. I think it was Mythbusters that did they like tried to recreate that melting effect just to see if they could do it. And I mean, the work that goes in, like you have to make the, 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 the tan base model and then a red gel on top of it and then a white or a white gel and then a red gel and then the actual mold of the face. And then you have to like melt it and record it and then speed up the recording. So it looks like melting really fast. I mean, I don't even know how they did that in the eighties. Like, I don't like it was difficult to do in 2007 or whatever, whenever they filmed that episode. It's, it's the special effects are just so well done. And uh, I love that in the end when Belloc's face just explodes, there's so much smoke and flame and fire in front of it because it was the only way to get it approved as PG is to make it as obscure as possible to cover up the fact that his face is just exploding. Yeah. So good. So amazing. It holds up so well. That's what I love about these movies too is that the villains, they just – their deaths are just so good. Like they get, they get their desserts so well. Oh man, very true. So, do y'all y'all don't subscribe to that uh, criticism of this film of like, oh, Indy didn't do anything at the end. Like no, I don't. Gets brought don't up a lot, and I agree. I do not care because part of it is him like using his understanding of you know the the object and then what he knows about it to preserve himself and Marion. So mm-hmm. like there is him doing something at least to make sure he gets saved. But yeah, you can make an argument, oh, they would have just opened it themselves. So Andy wasn't needed there, but he also needed to be there to like recover the artifact and get it back mm-hmm. um to a safe place and whatnot. So yeah, I think it works so well. It's an yeah. iconic ending as well. I remember yeah. like that has always been printed in my brain, especially the face melting part too. But mm-hmm. yeah, I've always loved that approach to the ending there um so yeah one thing i did want to ask what do you guys think is indy's arc in this film i think it's about i think it has to do with his obsession with the arc in the same sense that belloc is obsessed with with the knowledge of what's inside of it and then at the very end he has to overcome that and keep his eyes closed and not know what's inside the arc in order to survive and, and carry on, whereas Belloc is consumed with what is inside of it and like what it could mean and the power of it. And he has to know what's inside. And so he looks in it and then he just dies because of that, that hubris. But Indiana Jones chooses Marion over, over the desire to, to know what is inside the arc. Cause he has that conversation with Belloc where he's pointing the RPG at them. And and Belloc is like, put it down and come with us. You know, you want to know what's in it. At the end of the day, you won't blow us up because you're curious like me. And so he goes. And then in that moment, he's like, I can't do it. Close your eyes. We're going to close our eyes and we're going to live through this. Yeah. Russ? I'd agree. I think that is his main, you know, arc of the story. I think he's... I don't know. I don't really have a lot to add on this. I I think Dylan said it pretty perfectly. He's, you know, he's not completely consumed by this artifact that it like overtakes his life completely and it, it ruins him. He 
he's able to have that restraint with, you know, the knowledge that he has of it already. And so he's spared. Gotcha. It's an interesting take. I do agree with what you're saying there, Dylan, about like him choosing Marianne over the arc and therefore sort of letting go of his obsession in a way for it. I do think that comes across. I didn't think of the whole like him wanting to really see what was inside the arc. Um, that's a fascinating angle on it. But the reason I bring that up, which we'll talk about in Temple of Doom, is I think part of it as well was him at the beginning. You know, he knows of this artifact, Ark the Covenant, but he doesn't believe in the spiritual right. aspect of it, of it being like an actual like mystical or religious object. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's interested in like the artifact, the historical object, but not the like religious, mythical significance of it. And then at the end, when he has to like, avert his eyes he's believing in the fact that oh there is something to this it's not just an object it is imbued with like this power and like it is a vessel for god so i need to avert my eyes because the power of god is about to kill all these nazis and then may also take me out if i look at it so i think that idea was also really interesting of him going from like a non-believer in a sense to being like okay i need to respect the power of this thing that was once just something I would only look at through the historical, like archaeological lens. So I think that was a fascinating approach they had to it. My issue, though, (laughs) is they do that for every single other film in this franchise, where he starts out of like, I don't believe in this. This object can't be real. It's just like, it's just a thing. And then towards the end, he's like, oh, snap, this does have like real power to it. Let me respect it. So I love that they did this in Raiders, but I'm like, why'd they keep doing it? Especially since he already, you would have think once he had seen like, oh, the Ark Covenant melts these Nazis. Hey, now, Temple of Doom is bone. technically a prequel. so And then that also oh, brings up the Ra- issue. So in Raiders, he should not have been that surprised. <laughs> of why, yeah, why was he a non-believer in Raiders when he was like some random like stones in India for a Hindu god? That was real. Why would the Ark of the Covenant not also maybe have something to it? So that is one thing that just bugs me a little bit about like when they made it a franchise and they started doing this stuff, they sort of replayed that angle because it is a good approach, right? Someone who's like an archaeologist looking at it from like the intelligence side, just looking at historic objects, sort of becomes a believer in a way and respects it from afar. Mm -hmm. Um, It's good for one of the films. You can't do it every single time. Um, but yeah, so Raiders of the Lost Ark got eight Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, all that stuff, and it got four wins. Amazing, wow. that's incredible stuff. I agree, like, that's pretty amazing to see again. What was just them trying to make a B movie fun entertainment? The filmmaking was off the charts and it was respected even back then. Like, that's how amazing it was, and of course, it was like the highest grossing film of that year. Um, by a long shot so amazing so how many rolling boulders out of five are you giving raiders lost full five are you fucking kidding full five yeah no surprise here full five it's just a classic i mean come on it's amazing (laughs) also dylan i checked your uh list on your letterbox account Mm -hmm. it is your fourth favorite movie you have it at four that sounds right so there you go it's on his mount rushmore i think it's my three Wow, look at there that. There we go. There we go. Ryan, where do you put it? Uh, Don't know. It would not top be 50? in my top 25, but top 50, yeah. There sure. we go. Top 50, not bad. <laughs> All right. Now let's talk about the Temple of Doom, which, as you pointed out, is a prequel. So one year before. 
And as you also alluded to before, Ross, of it being a PG film, this was so dark and graphic and gory that they had to, MPA had to create a new designation for films (laughs) between PG and R. So we got PG-13 as a result of this film. So an amazing legacy there. Once again, Spielberg and Lucas changing the industry. Um, But then Temple of Doom. So at least for the original trilogy, definitely has the wrap of being the least favorite. What do you guys think of Temple of Doom? I fucking love this movie. I, I don't also like. Love this movie. <laughs> I can't believe people don't like this movie. It is. I can't believe Steven Spielberg doesn't like this movie. I know. It's he was just so really so good. Like I understand that it's dark, and he definitely leads into a lot of very uh, corny, dark things. But I mean, from from. Once you get to when they first discover the tunnel that leads into the caverns, from there to the end of the movie is non-fucking-stop. Mm-hmm. It just goes. And it's just action after action after action. It's crazy. I love this movie. I love the the opening, the little James Bond thing where he's wearing the suit, and they do like the little musical number, and then the, they have oh the shootout. God. It's so well shot. I love Short Round. He's so good. I mean, there's just so many good elements in this movie. How could you not like Temple of Doom? I love Temple of Doom. I think I think Temple of Doom was my favorite when I was a kid. It just, mm-hmm. I don't know, something about it just connected with me. Um, but it's just nonstop. Like, absolutely everything about this film just leads to this, like, crazy climactic ending of just, like, mm-hmm. the bridge. Oh, mm-hmm. my God, the minecart chase. Like, how crazy magical um i'm gonna keep saying that like a lot during this episode but um just the i think just the like insane darkness of watching you know like a human sacrifice in a pit of lava happen oh so cool knowing that like indiana cannot do anything against this and just has to like sit there and watch is magical um golly ma Oh my god! Rip, so good. Rip out the heart and keep on going. You know, just yeah. <laughs> they were uh, really going through it at the time, Lucas and Spielberg. I mean, man, they were really going through some dark shit. <laughs> yeah, that's what I saw. Like looking through the background of the the film was both of them were going through breakups. Lucas oh, was going through no. like a nasty divorce at the time, so people will suspect that's why they made it much darker. Um. And also the Willie Jack character being quite annoying, different of a female lead than Marion was in the previous one. So they're like, yeah, people just characterize it as this being them letting out all their anger, it being much more mean spirited. Um, and so, yeah, it does make sense in certain ways, it being much more dark and brutal. But then it's also so much of the film is also absurdly goofy, like some of the mm-hmm. goofiest the whole of the whole franchise. Um, and a lot of it is very funny. So the the tone, like going back and forth between just truly absurd and hilarious to extremely dark and brutal, mm-hmm. um, pretty fascinating. That that I think it works. It plays it like out. a it plays like an actual serial you would see in like the forties of like yeah. you have this intense story going on, but then here's some goofy action and goofy dialogue for the characters to have. Look, they're having fun. Right. I think this like absolutely best realizes that uh, idea of the this being a serial, 
right? Like this mm-hmm. being their modern day serial because yeah. there is no arc for Indy in this no. one. Like there's just nothing. He's it's just, on an just them on a random adventure. We just yep. come in and see it um, with these side characters that we never see again. And it's a prequel too. So it's like before anything. So yeah, this was them just being like, let's just go out and make another installment in one of his adventures. And he's not going to go through any change. That can be a major character arc. There's not going to be a real theme to it. It's just going to be fun and nonstop action. Yeah. So that's how they approached it. And it works. When you got, again, Spielberg at the helm and Harrison Ford uh, as your lead and George Lucas coming up with these crazy ideas and concepts and minecart chases and stuff like that, you get a whole bunch of iconic moments and amazing sequences. So I am also pro Temple of Doom. Yes. I think it definitely works. Um, I think one thing I wanted to point out was you mentioned it, like them going to the underground tunnels. That's whole sequence is great. But even before that, the the hallway scene and the bedroom scenes when mm-hmm. Billy oh Jack God. and Indy are like doing their seduction of each other. It's so silly. It's just fun. Like it's <laughs> seeing them play off each other like that. And then, then like bites of- the apple angrily. <laughs> each of them waiting in their own room. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And then he gets attacked by an assassin and she's like banging on the door. (laughs) She's like, screw you, Indiana Indiana Jones. You'll never know what you lost out on. He's getting like choked to death. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Crazy. And then with the whip, he like hangs the guy from the ceiling fan. So it goes extremely dark dark again. Really quick. Yeah. (laughs) Just the whiplash is crazy. But then it goes back to him like opening the secret door by touching on the breasts of the statue (laughs) (laughs) and then she has to do it later to see if it'll open up it's so good i love the sequence where him and short round are stuck in the room and like the 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 ceilings coming down spikes are coming down and she's like freaking out about about the bugs and a bunch of bugs and he's like we are going to die we are going to die that's so funny i don't know how that's not like a meme template like him through that like little space saying that it's so good the facial expressions are hilarious he looks so different from how he usually does too it's that was the highlight of rewatching this yeah we are going, going to, to die. die and it has like a grumpy face afterwards it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it is hilarious um yeah that whole sequence i thought was great i really love that um that's probably my favorite i mean it's so hard to choose because the rope bridge is incredible the micro chase is awesome but that one, just the blend of the comedy and like the suspense and tension and all that is really well done, I thought. Yeah. So, I yeah. think the fight he has with the big uh, the big thuggy guy and they're like fighting on like the the uh, conveyor belt and then he knocks him down and he gets crushed. Oh, that was pretty cool. That's good. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to give a shout out to the opening of this one. Another oh, yeah. Classic. They definitely lean into the James Bond influences here. For sure. The musical mm-hmm. number is great. I love when he takes the kebab and he throws it at the guy. Oh, <laughs> that is great. I remember I just watched uh, one of the documentaries about like Spielberg. And he was talking about how like when he did that musical scene, like he knew that he could handle a musical. And like now that we have like West Side Story from Spielberg, like I feel like it just clicked. It works. Absolutely. There's Which two... Dylan still needs to see, by the way. West yeah, Side Story. You got to see it. You have to see West Side Story, Dylan. I'm not I'm not letting you know up on this one. You gotta... <laughs> There's two funny things about that opening. Uh, particularly the end of it. Well, first off, I love that the whole thing is that he's trying to get, he's trying to get the 
uh, antidote. Yep. It's just getting kicked around. <laughs> I think that's funny. The two things that I think are kind of ridiculous about it is he's, he's running away from Lausa and he gets on a plane and it's <laughs> it's Lousa the Lausa plane, plane <laughs> company. That was great. That's I mean, such a good <laughs> bit. When the door closes and you see it's that, I mean, that was great. That was great. And then even funnier than that is that they're on the plane and Indiana Jones is fully asleep. And then the pilot's idea of killing Indiana Jones is to just ditch the plane, <laughs> not shoot him, not stab him. They just they just see Indiana Jones like he's too tough. We won't be able to take him. Let's just bail. And so they bail on the plane. That is very funny. Also love the uh, the escape from the plane with the oh, yeah. yellow life raft just oh, like yeah. gently so floating down. <laughs> and then That's they just great. get out unscathed. Yeah, I know, pretty. Fine. Pretty absurd, um, but it was it was fun to see. And then I will say, as a, a criticism of the film, I was not a fan of the whole indie getting brainwashed, slash possessed, and becoming that zombie, and the whole voodoo stuff around that. And you smack short round. Not great. I know I that was brutal. I disagree. I think that it. You were a fan. It's magical. <laughs> it's incredible. It's. It's it was magic. Moment. I wouldn't call it magical. It's an iconic indie moment. It's classic. And Willie's like, Indy, wake up, wake up. It's great. Oh my god, and the voodoo doll? Bro, the kid with the voodoo doll, and he's like... You can't see what I'm making a little, like, motion. Um, I think it's just... It just adds so much, like, drama and tension to the moment where, like, you know, another another director would just have Indy, like go up and punch you know our main main thuggy guy but it's just i don't know hard disagree it's great it's fair but yeah for me that's where i was like all right it's sort of losing the plot a little bit here um but yeah for most part again the action sequences are incredible again the rope bridge stuff all of that fantastic what are you guys thoughts on willie jack because that's another point of contention I like her. This film. I like her. I, I mean, don't. if we had, I like <laughs> you don't. Her. I mean, she's she's dumb and she just screams the whole time. And she has no character, but none of them have really have any character. They have no arcs whatsoever. They're just characters that are in this world that are just experiencing what's happening to them. And she's just a different type of female uh, protagonist for Indiana Jones outside of Marion. Marion was already the tough, scrappy, can take care of herself heroine, and so they just went completely in the opposite direction. And get, made Willie Jack just completely helpless, like a like an actual stereotypical uh, female protagonist from the actual like forty serials that you would see. And she's mm-hmm. just, I just think it's like th- she's heightened so much that it's just so funny to me. She's screaming nonstop throughout the whole movie. I think it's so funny. It's pretty good. It's so I, funny. I'm not a huge fan of her. Uh, I was watching these films with my girlfriend and she pointed out the fact that uh, if you are a woman in this like film franchise, you are never not going to wear heels. And she she evades some quite deadly situations on like jagged rocks in heels. And it's oh, yeah. pretty crazy. And it's incredible that she managed to survive. And I'm very proud of her for that. Uh, but I'm not a fan. <laughs> It reminds me of the the thing in Jurassic World where Bryce Dallas Howard is sprinting at full speed in like stilettos. Iconic, <laughs> yeah. Iconic. Exactly. Absurd stuff. Outran a uh, whole T Rex like that. Yeah. 
So I do think the concept of it, of her being, because you're right, Dylan, they did already that like scrappy, capable female protagonist in the first mm-hmm. one. And apparently they wanted to have approach of, it's part of why they did a prequel. It was like, oh, let's just have like a Bond girl. Let's have an indie girl. So let's switch it out every time. Um, but so I like- do like... Go ahead. She's not even like a, a Bond girl in the sense that she's like helpless, but still like seductive and cool. She's just so obnoxious. <laughs> I know. That's she's why I think so heightened they went absurd and with horrible, it. like completely just bizarrely heightened in, in the funniest possible way. She's so obnoxious and screaming so much. It's yeah. so funny to me. It is so funny to me. I do still like her, but I wish they toned down how intensely and I wish I had a certain she's screaming point. throughout it and they gave her something yeah. to do or some sort of trait or aspect that, that she yeah. would have used to like help out Indy at some point. Cause it is good having like not every single person that goes on like these adventures is going to be cut out for it or is going to mm-hmm. be like, you know, that going to be their cup of tea. So having someone that is just like a very pampered person living a normal life, like all of us, if we were thrown in a crazy Indy adventure would not go well for us so having someone like that is a good approach i think but yeah they just went overboard with yeah her being like the comedic relief of being so incapable and so like just out of her depth so yeah i think it was yeah. ultimately not the greatest choice but in concept yeah. initially i do see how it would have made for a really good dynamic between her and indy yeah she had actually like learned a lesson about something about herself in the course of the movie instead of just screaming the whole time and then by the end of it, it's just okay with everything and is like with indiana jones and is happy i wish she had had like some kind of like triumphant moment where she could learn a lesson and like grow as a person but she's just obnoxious the whole time which i just think is a very funny choice <laughs> i love it i think i just wanted to point out as well like every single scene with willie and an elephant is a fantastic scene. Yeah. There is a lot of great humor with her and like short round and Indy just mm-hmm. like traveling to the temple yeah. and like back from the temple. And I think even though she isn't she hasn't changed like at all from this, her reactions are just fantastic in those moments yeah. of like moving. Speaking of short round, though, talk about amazing sidekicks. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Incredible. My favorite of the Indiana Jones sidekicks. For sure. 100%. He's fantastic. And it's so sad we never got to see him return. So sad. That is upsetting. It's just wild that they set this one year before Raiders Lost Ark. What happened to short round? Where'd he go? (laughs) Like, they had this whole thing of like, oh, you're my best friend, Indy. Like he has like yeah he has no his continuing parents arc. Are dead so Indy is no... like his guardian too. Yeah. And where where's he go? He's just some like Trevor kid. What did Indy do with him? He just let him let him go at some point. It was like all there's right. There's no there's no farewell, finish to his story. It's just like a happy ending and they all walk off into the sunset but then you realize in Raise the Lost Ark Willie's not there. We can assume they just broke up. But what happened to Short Round? Did Willie take Short Round? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she got her. custody. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. Um, another thing about this film that I think is uh, a credit to it, but many people, I think, dislike it for this, is a lot of it is contained to just this one location. Like when they get to India and then they get to this um, like palace with the underground temple mm-hmm. 
um, that's just where they stay the whole time. So it's not this globe-trotting adventure like these other ones. Mm-hmm. But I think in context of the full franchise, I think it helps these other films that are more globe-trotting that this one doesn't also do that because then it doesn't make it feel like all of it is just the same where we're hitting these major hotspots in different uh, countries and different cities. I like that this one was more contained to a specific location. I agree. It was them just being thrown into one specific adventure over like one day, basically. I think it was a, a nice way to distinguish itself, give it a unique feel. So, yeah. I agree. Any other thoughts on Temple of Doom? Nah, it's just really cool. It's just a good time. <laughs> so, so how many Kali Ma cults out of five? I give it four. Ooh, I agree with say, a four. I am going to say like a three, three and a half. Three and a half. Wow. I love it, but it's, it's a silly, goofy little fun. <laughs> it's a very silly, goofy <laughs> movie. All right. Now let's move on to The Last Crusade. The third film in that original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And this time we get Sean Connery yes. as Indy's father. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Which is great casting in context of, again, the whole thing of let's make our own James Bond. And then they cast James Bond to be Indy's <laughs> father. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. Great. Yeah. If you ask me, once again, great opening. Really great way to set up the movie with the young Indiana Jones fighting with the guy with the fedora and uh, then the whole train sequence. And then he gets the cut on his chin and he falls into the pit of snakes. I mean, there's just so much, so much being set up for Indiana Jones and then cutting to Indiana Jones on the boat, fighting those guys to get the little, uh, cross back because it belongs in a museum. So it's just a good way to set up like that arc for his character of being so obsessed yet again, like, like that raises the lost Ark type character of just being so obsessive. Very true. Yeah, River Phoenix as young Indy. He did a great job because he was he embodying like the feel of him, but a lot of the way he would say certain things too was like exactly Harrison Ford's like inflection and speaking pattern. So he did a great job. That opening is just great. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my god, the fact that he's like a Boy Scout and he like wanders off, and then the whole circus train—it's wonderful. Magic train sequence, Dylan. The magic box is so good. <laughs> oh my trains. god! Trains, I do love trains. <laughs> <laughs> I've so, always yeah. said that this this film is just reverse daddy daycare. Indiana takes <laughs> all of the fathers and goes on a little adventure, um, and it's great and so fun. And I think the like. The comedy of just the dialogue itself in this one is like unmatched in yeah, any. It's impeccable. The the banter between uh, Henry Jones Senior and Indy it's so good. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, very fun to listen to. Very funny. Um, their chemistry is great. So yeah, this one. The Indiana chose his name from the dog. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was very fond of that dog. <laughs> so yeah we learn a lot about indy's origins in this one yeah i get the bullet future. the hat the scar the, the uh name the name in the future i'm gonna go by coco oh <laughs> <laughs> i could also go by coco and honor my cat and my dog but <laughs> we could be the cocos 
Exactly. <laughs> Coco Hill um, and Coco Johnson. There you go. <laughs> Coco Johnson's not a bad name. No, it's not. <laughs> that is a good one, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they also bring back the Nazis for this one. So, classic villains to take yeah. on there. Um, there's just so much. Like, this one as well, along with the Raiders, so many of the set pieces, just fantastic. Mm-hmm. So good. So amazing. Particularly where they're in that one castle. And then they're trying to escape. <laughs> and he accidentally yeah. starts a fire when he was trying to like oh, get yeah. to the ropes, burn them off. So he starts a fire. And then they have that revolving like fireplace. Yeah. So good. Like the sight gags in that are just hilarious. It's very, very funny. I think Sean Connery absolutely kills in this movie. He has he and him and Harrison Ford have great chemistry. And then he's also just he's so nerdy and funny, but still charming like uh Indiana Jones. I mean, he's great in the movie. Mm-hmm. I will say the period of the film before he shows up, like after the opening. And when he sort of gets that quest to go find his father who's looking for the Holy Grail. Yeah. And they're like, in and then when he shows up, it definitely was not hidden for me. Yeah. The it whole thing with Elsa, too. It was because, I mean, partially it's just like knowing for sure that she's going to, she's a Nazi. Yeah. So you can't really buy into the relationship that much. But they also made it so rushed and so quick um, that it's like, you don't care as much as like with Marion, obviously, or then even with Willie Jack, like there's a much more of them like butting heads before anything sort of came of their relationships and reconnecting. Um, with this one, it was just so quick and you already know where it's going to go basically. So I wasn't a big fan of that. And then also them uh, exploring that one underground tunnel in Venice. I felt like it was, the least compelling of any like cave exploration that they did or tomb exploration in the whole franchise. It just felt, I don't know. It didn't feel very distinct at all. It felt like it was just a by the numbers. Oh, we got to do this. We can get this one piece of Mm -hmm. the puzzle so we can go to the next one to find the grail. Um, Yeah. So yeah, that like beginning portion definitely was not the greatest, but then once Sean Connery comes in, I thought the Venice boat Jace was pretty good. I think it's exciting. I think part of it um, was really good. I loved when he was <laughs> like the propeller is chopping off the front of the mm-hmm. boat and he's like trying to interrogate the guy like, you better tell me or you're going to get your head chopped <laughs> off. And he's up. like, yeah, that I thought was really good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was solid, but it was not, I think, standout compared to a lot of the other stuff in the film and then the franchise as a whole. Mm-hmm. But again, once Sean Connery comes in, Oh my god! Solid firing on yeah. all cylinders, amazing, perfect. Mm-hmm. And then also this one, I think probably has the most uh, well done emotional component to any of these films. Oh, for sure. The father, you know that Indy is trying to reconnect with because he was absolutely just shunned. Which that opening does a great job too, just showing mm-hmm. how little interest uh, his father took in his life. Um, so him trying to save his father and then trying to reconnect with them. And they're still sort of not able to get over how poor of a father he was uh, in Indy's early years. It's just so great. And then, of course, I mean, tying in with Spielberg's real life and his famous 
daddy issues that has <laughs> motivated so many of his films. So it obviously has a really strong emotional core to it. Um, so that also just gives it, you know, has a genuine theme here. It has a genuine art for their relationship together. So that on top of all the action sets it apart um, and gives it, yeah, just a really good hook, something that you can invest in. Yeah, I think I agree completely uh, on all of that stuff. I don't have much to say about The Last Crusade. I think you're right that it has like a really great emotional component. I think the action does pick up when Sean Connery comes in. I think it has a lot of funny bits compared to the other movies. It's definitely the funniest to me. I just... Uh, at this point in like the trilogy, I, I'm sort of just like chugging along with the story a little bit. And just like it is Indiana Jones and like everything's been established. There's not much to say in terms of like doing anything completely original other than that, that great emotional through line. Uh, Elsa as a character doesn't really interest me. The villain, I don't even remember his name. The, the British guy, he doesn't interest me as much either. I think some of the action set pieces in the latter half of the movie are really good. I think the motorcycle chase is very, very good. I think when they're in the plane, I think that's very, very funny and they have to land. <laughs> I think that's good. <laughs> Sorry, son. They got us. <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah. Uh, I love the, once again, the desert chase to me is the standout action sequence as it was in Raiders of the Lost Ark. They kind of copied it, but then like copy and paste it, but then input tanks to make it more exciting. That was the one and then, and then thing too at that Jones. part. It was like, we sort of saw this before, but yeah, but it's Rome, still, it, I guess it's still to great. me. It's still the best action set piece in the movie. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. I think when he gets stuck on the tank gun, like his his satchel is stuck on it, and then it's dragging into the rocks. What a good shot! Like he's really hanging there as it's dragging through rocks. How does he? How are they doing this safely? I don't even know. And then like the the main rock is coming, he has to move, or he's going to get smushed. I think all of that's great. And then the colonel getting. Th- Getting thrown off the cliff while he's still in the tank. I think that's great. <laughs> oh, that's really, really good. And then from what I remember, the everything in the end I really enjoy with him having to go through the trials and do that stuff. I think that was all very creative and well done. And then it just nails the the ending with like him trying to reach for the grail after Elsa already just dies because of her own. That was pain. a great moment for sure. And then he's trying to reach for it himself and he can't do it. And then, and then his dad calls him Indy, and he says, "Give me your hand, son." Ah, it's very good. And they just let it go, and then they ride off into the sunset. I think it's, I think it's just solid. Like, there's not much to complain about other than like the the pacing of the earlier parts of it. I just think it's just a very solid film through and through. It just doesn't stand out to me as much as the others do because the others do something different each time. And this one's just sort of like we know what makes Indiana Jones work, and we're just gonna do that stuff and then give it a little bit of spice with this father storyline. And that just elevates it a little bit more, which makes it better. But like, there's nothing completely brand new other than what you've already said, Ryan, that like stands out to me. True. I do think the whole ending sequence, Mm -hmm. I think that is really impeccable. Like him doing those final trials. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great. And it being, because his motivation is interesting. This one it's not, the grail he doesn't really care care about the grail at all in this film it's just the father he's trying to save and then at the end they merge the two so in order to save his father he needs the grail so then he has 
genuine motivation to go through those trials. And they asked to use, you know, the book that his father had spent decades filling with research on the grail. So he's able to use that and his knowledge in order to get through those trials. And then that leap of faith at the, like that final trial, again, is great. So again, going from that like non-believer to believer thing, which again, they do it again. But this one was another great representation of it, I thought. Um, and then, yeah, when he's actually in there finding the grail, I love how same thing with like the Ark and the Covenant, they do a thing where the people that are just looking at it for its potential for power and being greedy, they make a mistake and do the wrong thing, right? Make the wrong choice. They choose the golden chalice. Whereas Indy, knowing his knowledge, uh, is able to recognize, oh, it's going to be like the humble carpenter's cup. That is like what Jesus would have used. So that's going to be the one that is the Holy Grail. Um, and obviously he's correct in that. So I think things like that of him, again, using his instincts and knowledge of history and archaeology and whatnot, and that being separate from just the pure greed of the Nazis trying to get at this um, powerful artifact just to empower themselves and be able to use it for evil. I think once again, just like Raiders, they're able to nail that. Um, so yeah. Mm. Any other yeah. final thoughts on Last Crusade? Donovan, his name's Donovan. I love when he <laughs> deteriorates and like the night the 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 crusader is like, you have chosen Pole. And then he like just like he ages like a thousand yeah. years in one second. Yeah. And it's so cool. And like, and like <laughs> Elsa like throws him off and he just like crumbles against the wall. I thought that was sick. So true. I yeah. love that part. Also in rewatching this one, um, so much of the early comedy between Indy and his father is that they both slept with the Nazi and they keep bringing it up. And it's like, like it's funny. But at some point, it's like, I don't feel like we need to talk about this anymore with my father. Like, this is, this is. They horrifying. did bring it up a lot of times. Although I will say the first time it did get brought up, um, which, what was it? What was it exactly where they realized that it was a thing? Oh, it was because she, he was like, oh, she talks in her sleep. Yeah. And indeed gives like a look of like, how do you know? <laughs> She talks in her sleep. I thought that part was great. And then they mentioned it one other time when they were like tied up in the chairs. And I was like, okay, I guess that works to give it like a more like explicit joke about it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they brought it up a couple more times. Like you mentioned it on the Zeppelin too of like, oh, this, like we shared a lot of things. And I'm like, we did not need that one. We didn't need this <laughs> that one. That one could have stayed off. <laughs> Please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> So how many Holy Grails out of five are we giving The Last Crusade? I give it four. Ooh, four and a half. Yeah, I'm giving it four and a half. I think, I don't know, it's interesting, Dylan, that you didn't click with this one as much because it really is very much in the mold of Raiders of Lost Ark. Yeah. So right. much of it is, but it works so well. Like that formula was so good. Yeah. So like every point from Sean Connery coming in, like the opening bit and then Sean Connery to the end. It's like five out of five. Like it's great. Absolutely love it. But yeah, it's just that one portion um, in sort of the like minute 15 to minute like 40 that I was like not sold on, which brings it down a bit. But I'm surprised that you gave it a four, not even a four and a half. Dang. Yeah, I was thinking about four and a half. But then I was like, you know, it's just 
outside of like the great plot line of Indy and his father in like a couple of really good action bits, there are pieces of it that slow down a little bit for me. There are pieces of it that don't like feel as exciting as Temple of Doom or as like well put on and well like blocked as like Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so and it doesn't have this like like Raiders of the Lost Ark in my head is like like this mythical being of, of greatness. <laughs> and it doesn't have that like feeling of being the height of what an Indiana Jones movie could be, but it's definitely like it's up there. I just think Temple of Doom has so much to offer in terms of the stylism of the nonstop action and then and, and like the set pieces and like the, the wackiness of it and the goofiness of it. And Temple of Doom has a lot to offer in terms of like grounding it once again, like Raiders of the Lost Ark and making it more serious while still having humor. It's like they both have something to offer, but I think they're both just sequels to something that's already the pinnacle of greatness, which is Raiders. Can't be Raiders. Hard to live up to that, man. And now... Let's talk about the fourth film, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, man. Coming out, what was it? 2008. Yeah. But how many years after? Because Last Crusade was... 89. So... Yeah, so not quite 20 years. Yeah. Two decades since the previous installment, and they came back for another one for an older Indiana Jones. So we were alive at this point. Mm Mm-hmm. So, did y'all go see Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in theaters? Opening weekend, bro. I mean, <laughs> Indiana Jones is my fucking shot. Like, to, to you, Ryan, what Spider-Man 3 was to you, <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was to me. As this, 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 this idea of, like, this is the movie event of my life, seeing an Indiana <laughs> Jones movie in theaters. Like, I never thought, like, I thought they'd make three and then be done. Like, I never thought Harrison Ford would come back. And Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg was coming back with him. And I was like, this is going to be the greatest thing in the world. It's going to be exactly what I want it to be. It's going to live up to all my expectations. And it did not. But it was still very, very, very fun as an eight-year-old watching Indiana Jones. I remember getting to the end with the the aliens and like Kate Blanchett's eyes are burning up. My mom covered my eyes because I was eight years old <laughs> so that I wouldn't see Kate uh-huh. Blanchett die. But I saw the ants part, which I thought was even scarier. Yeah, those ants were bad. Those ants were bad. But man, uh-huh. uh as 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 kind of outlandish as this movie is and like not quite well written as this movie is i still do have a lot of fun watching it there are definitely scenes that are like it's not good <laughs> true but but overall i still have a lot of fun russ how about you i totally also saw it opening day like i i remember going with my mom and my dad and watching it um and also night like not super loving it but like being excited that i could wear my little indiana jones hat and go to the movie theater and like have an experience seeing you know one in in the theater mm-hmm. um, Ryan, oh sorry yeah. keep going no you're good you're good wait well, did you have more ross go for no. it oh, okay so for me i did not see this opening weekend whoa i did not see this in theaters whoa. and i had not seen this whoa. until recently last week for this episode That's i never crazy. watched kingdom you of the never crystal skull. watched kingdom of the crystal skull You're and i don't crazy. know why because my dad is a huge indiana jones fan that's crazy and again we're like totally could have gone and seen this film but he just Has never seen it? took me yeah he has i need to talk to him about it because yeah. we're gonna go try and see dial destiny that's why i haven't seen that yet either um because i want to go with him but 
we i don't know i need to talk to him like did he hear about it not being good and just didn't want to take me to see it or like what was the issue there um but yeah so i never saw it as a kid and then it obviously got a reputation of being quite bad so i did not ever feel the urge to give it a watch so my first ever time watching this was like this past week that's crazy in preparation for the show so yeah that's quite a difference wild. walk me through <laughs> all of your thoughts ryan please do please. so so i think there are definitely some elements to it where that old indie magic comes through but by and large i think the assessment that it's quite bad is quite accurate <laughs> it is there's just something so off about so much of it like even just the look of the film like the visual of it comes off significantly more like polished and mm -hmm. i don't want to say ugly but also kind of ugly it yeah. just whatever was going on with the 80s and how they were filming those compared to this particular one something changed and it just did not work like they weren't able to recreate um the approach that they were taking with those 80s films because those look so amazing to this day like they're phenomenal yeah. this one doesn't even hold up and <laughs> it's been what 15 years so i don't understand how that happened and then of course them including more of the cgi we talked about how with raiders especially but all those 80s films it's practical like they mm -hmm. couldn't do workarounds they couldn't do shortcuts they had to do it practical with stunts with mm -hmm. this one they could do more because of cg technology however i don't think that was blended in in the best way and mm -hmm. so many of the action set pieces you can tell that they're fake or that they're on like a green screen or that there's cgi elements to it and so it rips away any of the fun and any of the investment in the action that's taking place so what is the greatest part of these indie movies are the action set pieces in Kingdom of the Christmas Skull, they are like five notches lower because you can tell where they are fake and not practical. So that was a big hit to it. Um, it gets a lot of uh, criticism for the alien stuff. I think it works. I think the alien, like deciding to go for aliens, ancient aliens, I think that's cool. I mean, we obviously know spielberg and george lucas their fascination for aliens so it makes sense that they end up doing this and i don't think it's that outlandish with any of the other stuff that they're doing like they're having these ancient artifacts that do have like real genuine mythical or spiritual power to them why not also just throw in oh aliens were shaping I'm, I'm ancient civilizations aliens. you're not or you are i'm not the biggest fan of the aliens. oh you're not <laughs> dang so i don't know for I don't me like that the... wasn't like the biggest criticism I i've was like, never I... liked the implication that ancient civilizations were aided in their building by aliens. I've never <laughs> he subscribed says, to that. The idea. humans should get all the credit. I mean, I agree with that. Like in real life, people that do that stuff like, oh, the ancient aliens like helped build the pyramids and whatnot. I think that's ridiculous. But for a movie like this where we already established like voodoo and all this stuff, like it's all everything is cool is a part of the universe. You're saying it's cool. Okay. I mean aliens are cool too. So I'm like, that's fair game, I think, to throw in aliens as well. Um yeah. So, yeah, if this were James Bond, where mythical stuff isn't real sure, yeah. and included in like the story, then, yeah, something like an alien would be insane. But this one, perhaps, we've already established not... that. So aliens aren't like that far apart from 
a thing that they would do. If it's just some other ancient artifact imbued with mind control powers, what's the real harm in making it like an alien? Maybe it's see that nothing to do with like. I don't think I have a problem with aliens in general or like the inclusion. I just don't feel like it fits into the script itself. Like I don't feel like I feel like it just kind of came out of left field Like the idea of them just being aliens and like they're, they're being a flying saucer under this, this giant Aztec temple. I just felt like it was like odd to include or like it just like all the other ones you were building up to this mythical artifact that we know we're chasing and Indiana Jones knows he's chasing it. And this whole time we just have this big crystal skull and we are looking for like what it's associated with. We don't know what it is. And then out of left field in the last 10 minutes, it's just, it's aliens. Yeah. And there's a big flying saucer. I feel like it's not as well implemented into the story as the rest of the artifacts are. And I feel like I agree. Like if, if it wasn't just a giant flying saucer Mm -hmm. with the skeletons of these, aliens i think i would have like enjoyed it you know if it was aliens were implemented in a different way i would have enjoyed it if the crystal skull was like a beacon that brought aliens down to earth to collect it you know would have been great but i'm just not a fan of that like ending sequence where the whole temple like comes up and the big giant saucer like flies away if the whole thing from the beginning, like from the get go, had been about uh, like rumors about aliens and him trying to see if these were real or not, it probably would have been more exciting because you could have built more into it and then built more into like that fifties Cold War sort of like yeah. like alien hunt kind of thing. But it's like he was after a treasure that was involved with this crystal school like figure in this Aztec civilization, and then there were aliens. I would say, wasn't it though, like they mentioned the Roswell incident, I think, or something similar to it, of like, oh, we found this mysterious body and whatnot. Also, they were in Hangar 51, Area 51, so they're like, they were definitely putting the seeds there of, oh, we're going to deal with some like alien-esque stuff. Um, So again, I mean, I think the logic of like the Crystal Skull and it being like is it one being is it all one alien or it's different skeletons that stuff makes no sense still don't understand it didn't really care to try and figure that one out um but i do think again just like the concept of like aliens i think it works but i agree with you guys of the execution of it especially towards the end it just i wasn't sure what was going on with it trying to combine the theming of like a south america like aztec hunt for treasure with high-tech futuristic aliens just didn't mesh i just don't think it works yeah like the the theming of those two different styles doesn't matter like like a cold war era 50s doo-wop alien hunt with like south america classic indiana jones sort of aztec temple raid those two don't combine very well I guess, but again, they only had the futuristic part like, at the very end when the saucer yeah, starting to go it. up. Okay, that's fair. It. I did think it was cool though when the temple started like disintegrating and the dirt was all revolving in one yeah. direction. I thought that was a, a cool shot. Um, all right, so aliens, not the biggest fan you guys are, but what about other parts? Let me hear what you guys think of this film. Uh, Shia LaBeouf was all right. I thought he he like did the best he could. It's just kind of 
the whole idea of like it being an indie, like following Last Crusade, which was indie and his dad with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which is indie and his now estranged son. I felt like the chemistry was off and I felt like it didn't work. They did like, it just didn't work well in the story. Maybe they had put it off for Dial of Destiny, although now he's really fucking old, so maybe it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> but I just thought I, I thought bringing back Marion was a very good idea. True, I, so true. I am not sold on Shia LaBeouf's character that much. I agree on Shia LaBeouf. I think the chemistry between them is just not there, and I didn't really believe his character and what he stood for. Um but Marion, I don't know. I feel, I also kind of think it's cheap to bring back Marion on this one as well. Like, I think Whoa. she, like, she, she's there, but she doesn't really, like, give Indy anything more to, like, do or talk about other than just, like, oh, they're estranged, but they miss each other. And I think the, like, their wedding sequence at the end is, like, brilliant, and I love it. But I just wish that she had more to do and just, like, had more of a, a stake in this than just, like, hanging around because her son is there, you know? I just feel like her her arc in this one is, is pretty bland. I mean, that's true. But I did like seeing Marion come back. Yeah. Seeing I her dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. I love seeing her. She's great. They have Wonderful. good chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely sad that in all the other ones she wasn't a part of it. So I'm glad that they were able to give Miriam her due and allow her to come back. So she's obviously the best. And also, you know, Elsa's dead. And what are you going to do? Bring back Willie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's still screaming about everything. Yeah, right. Insane. Um, so yeah, I did. I did like her coming back, although I agree with much of the character stuff. I mean, yeah, it wasn't uh, excellent. Shia LaBeouf's but yeah, I was not a fan. I definitely don't think it worked. Yeah. Um, and then also, Kate Blanchett's Spalco did not work either. I was stunned mm. to see this because Kate Blanchett is incredible, but it was just not working on any level. It was very it was bad. So that was also rough. It was uh, the hair. <laughs> the, the hair the hair was rough. The uh, <laughs> Spielberg's mom's hair. What are the other the Russian guys? Did you me? like him? Like the side villain? Um, the one that kept like turning on Indy every two seconds? No, no. I mean like the old Russian guy that would box Indy and then like he gets eaten by the ants. Um, he's a very minor character, but he's like a, a good side villain. I thought yeah, I don't really remember him. Kind of forgettable. He's just a, he's just a Russian dude that fights Indiana. Yeah, I don't blame you. It is pretty forgettable. Uh, yeah, I didn't care like, about Mac, the 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 guy who keeps turning on Indy. I don't give a shit about him. Yeah, I don't know why he was even in it. That was also wild. Absurd. So it's bad when like the villain doesn't work, the sidekick doesn't work for like Ross even too. Like the love interest doesn't really work. Um, so yeah, and then again, the action sequences aren't working because a lot of it is CGI. The, like that jungle crazy sequence guy. in particular was. Oh, it looks rough. When Muff is when Mutt is like swinging with the monkeys, looks horrible. <laughs> I hated that. I just, that was it. crazy. I've heard, so we'll talk about that in a second, the whole nuke incident, but I don't know how I haven't heard the idea of him swinging with the monkeys because that's even worse to me. Like, so that bad. was ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, that was unfortunate. And I just couldn't see why because, like, the jungle sequence, I was trying to pinpoint, I was like, is this on some, like, green screen thing or is this partially 
uh, like on location. And I still don't know fully, although I hear a lot of this film was actually on location. Um, and yet it still looked pretty bad. bad. So I just couldn't parse out why it looked so compared to all the like other action set pieces in the previous films in the eighties, when they would have less technology to work with and less planning, like, especially with Raiders of the Lost Ark, like this isn't, that wasn't what they knew would be this big, huge triumphant return of a franchise after 20 years. You think they would be able to spend much more time integrating these CG elements or at the least just trying to recreate bigger practical set pieces mm. since they would have the time and money and, you know, knowing this is going to be a big blockbuster. Yeah. So I just don't understand how that ended up happening. But let's talk about the nuke in the fridge. What are your thoughts? I like it. I think it's fun. I think it's <laughs> stupid. I think it makes zero sense, but I like it. Best scene in the movie. Best yeah, scene. for sure. <laughs> it's just, there's just that moment of tension and the the laughability of just how how unsurvivable that fridge is. And yeah. he comes out perfectly unscathed. Is yeah, it's so just fun. incredible. I love it. <laughs> I remember being eight years old watching this movie in theaters and being like, shouldn't he be dead? Like knowing at eight years old that a nuke being dropped, like you would not survive a nuclear explosion in a fridge. It's Mm. worth a shot. Like I probably would do the same fucking thing. Like if the nuke was coming, I got no, I'm like, well, fuck, what else am I going to do? I guess I would also get into a fridge, but uh, I think I would just die. Yeah, it was, it was like the setup of it, of him finding out he's in that model town. It's pretty about to be a nuke that goes off. That was fantastic. I was like, it's incredible. But then, yeah, him getting in the fridge, surviving whatever the blast would have been. They said it was like a lead-lined fridge. Okay, let's assume that that would actually work. It would not. But let's assume. But the thing gets launched like crazy. My man gets smacked down hard. And then, like, multiple times, it's like hitting the ground. So he would have been dead from that on impact multiple times over. But then also the radiation. My boy just opens up, sees a, a gopher, which also survived the impact of that nuke and whatever the like shockwave was, I guess he was underground, but the radiation also would have got my boy. So maybe it was just a really like, bad nuke. Maybe it just didn't work properly. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah, a bad test. Like, it was nice. a test. It was just it a, a regular bomb. It wasn't a nuke. What, what happened? Whatever, you know, <laughs> that'd have been funny if they explained it away like that. <laughs> it wasn't a real nuke. Oh, we were supposed to split the atom. Oh, <laughs> God. I thought you just wanted a a gunpowder bomb. God (laughs) damn. (laughs) That's funny. So, yeah, I think, I mean, there are a lot of, again, the in Temple of Doom, the whole raft, the yellow raft, that's ridiculous. In this film as well, there's another ridiculous thing of them going down a waterfall like three times. So it's not like the franchise is foreign to absurd survivings of things that definitely should kill you. But, yeah, the nuke definitely takes it it pretty far. Yeah. Um, again, they should just have him like if there's some bunker or something like we got in underneath that and was able to survive it. I think that would have made it okay because again, that setup of him finding out oh, there's just mannequins and we're about to get nuked, really good. But mm-hmm. the rest of it, not so much. Well, um, any other things you want to point out? Observations, criticisms, redemptions of the movie. I just have to bring up again that those ants uh, were in my nightmares for like months. That, that was, was a really great good scene. scene. Yeah, the ant <laughs> scene, really well done. 
Yeah. It's another example of just like cre- coming up with this very creative and bizarre way to kill the 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 enemy, but like it just it, it's like the melting face, just very very unique and very very memorable for sure. I feel Absolutely. like that that death scene is like more memorable than Kate Blanchett. Like Yeah, her eyes just burn up or something. Her eyes are just like and she's dead, I guess. But no, but that dude gets eaten by ants. He's like dragged into the nest. Horrible. Yeah. Horrifying. The oh, worst. Yeah, he's screaming. They're they're crawling all over him and inside of him. His legs yeah. are sticking out of the nest. Oh, God. Crazy. Yeah. Scary stuff. Um, yeah. I love... Sorry. I love the... The very end, they kind of accidentally set up for a Dial of Destiny when Indy and Marion get married and uh, Mutt, which is Shia LaBeouf's character's name. Side note. So sorry again. Indiana Jones named himself after the dog. Indiana. Yes. And he named his son Mutt. That's his actual name. Horrible. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) Well, so it was Marion who named him Mutt, right? Had to be. Well, Which no, is think... truly crazy. Because <laughs> no. Indy didn't know that was his son. Wait, so... let me look this up really quick. Because I think his name also might actually be Henry. Like, Henry Jr. Jr. Actually, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, it probably is. But then, yeah, why would he call himself Mutt? Who started calling him Mutt? It was the name of his dog. <laughs> uh, no. His name is... Yes, his name is Henry. Henry Mutt Williams. Crazy. Uh, but... Mutt picks up Indiana Jones' hat at the wedding. Mm-hmm. And he's about to, like, walk away with it and, like, put it on. Henry Ford, Harrison Ford, grabs that shit back. He's like, nope, my legacy. This is my series. Don't you forget it. And they walk away, and that's how the film ends. And I, it's incredible. Watching that back after Dial of Destiny, there's no way Shia LaBeouf was getting that. Could you imagine? No Could you way. imagine it was Shia LaBeouf? <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. That would be insane, but it's, uh, this one's fine. It's all right. It's not the best. Yeah, one positive thing I did want to point out was the snake bit in this one because they always have those little sequences where he's afraid of a snake and a snake comes up. So this one where Marion and him are trapped in quicksand or whatever type of sand it was, yep. and then in order to get him out, he throws him a like, long python or whatever. That was pretty fun. I did enjoy that. And then, of course, they had the conversation beforehand of Indy learning that Mutt is his son, um, which I thought was pretty good. The whole bit of them being in the jungle and like that, like fifteen minute like of like drama between them, where they're all meeting each other, and like the it's just completely there's no CGI action going on. It's just them talking in the jungle. I thought that sequence was good, not necessarily memorable, but like in terms of like Indiana Jones dialogue. Like extended dialogue pieces, I think it, it worked well. When you meet the crazy guy, is it John Hurt? Is John Hurt the crazy guy? Maybe. I don't know. The Oxley guy? Oxley, yeah. When you meet him and like you learn more about the Crystal Skull and you see all the characters and stuff, I think that, that bit, that whole sequence works pretty well. It is, in fact, John Hurt. I knew right. it. So how many nuked fridges out of five are you giving this one ross let's go to you first that's a three solid three a three dylan three and a half 
I just, I just, it is still iconic to me as being part of my childhood and something that I saw. I don't think it's very good and I'm not very entertained when I watch it, but there's just something about it. Like I had the Lego sets as a kid and I would play with them. Like I had the, the big, there was a giant Lego set. That was the, the temple at the end of the, like the big Aztec temple at the end. And I had that whole set and it was awesome. And I played with it all the time. I used it so much. And like the, there are bits in it that are memorable to me, like the the nuke part and the fighting on like the really fast train with the Russian guy and the ant sequence and Shia LaBeouf swinging with those stupid monkeys and like the big <laughs> saw blade hitting the truck or something like that. There are bits in it that like stand out to me as, as being memorable and fun and part of my childhood. But it, taking a step back and looking at the whole thing start to finish, it's not very good. I know that, but it's still a three and a half. It's my gotcha. childhood. And I'm gonna give it a 2.5. I'm not surprised. Nuked for Watching me. this as a fucking adult, nobody, nobody's gonna like this movie. As an adult. <laughs> yeah. All right. If you watch, so that... if you watch Spider-Man three for the first time right now and not as a kid, <laughs> you would give that movie such dog shit ratings. I guarantee you. Probably. Although I don't know. I think that's still very. If you go at it from the approach of knowing it's gonna be goofy as all get out, I think you could still salvage a pretty good score i don't know but um yeah for this one i think there's less redeeming qualities even if you look at it from a uh because i mean we've talked about spider-man 3 enough but definitely has nostalgia goggles on for that a little bit Mm. um dial of destiny is the fifth film so we just went through all the uh previous films now 15 years later they brought them back 80 years old, Indiana Jones. So, Ross, you have seen this. You saw it opening weekend. Yes, I did. So, do you want to give just some thoughts on this? Of course, non-spoiler. You're not going to go too into depth, but just give us your thoughts on this outing of Indiana Jones and where it sort of fits in with all the other ones. Okay. Dial of Destiny. This one. Fits right in the middle of the pack for me. It is, it is not a standout. It's not the worst in my opinion. Uh, it's just middle of the road. Um, there are some incredible set pieces. There's certain scenes that stick out pretty incredibly. Um, there are plenty of like surprising familiar faces in this one. A lot of like cameos from people I would not really expect. Um, the plot itself, uh, it's, a, it's a little convoluted, uh, but Harrison Ford kills it as always. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen kills it as a, as a main antagonist. I think his, his performance is incredible. Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridges, great. I loved her. I know some people are having reservations with her character, but uh, she plays his goddaughter, and I think that her performance is very nice, very good. Um, Forever missing short round, wish he was involved. So is but, uh, but he's not in this one. Um, I would give this film a three and a half. I think I would fit it right in between 
uh, Temple of Doom and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But I don't know. I've only seen it once, and maybe that opinion could change on further rewatches. But as of right now, she's alright. Alright, so your ranking is Raiders, Last Crusade, Temple, Dial Destiny, and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yep. Alright, there you go. So at least positive news that it's better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> yes. Nice. So we're above that bar at least. Um, nice. Awesome. Dylan, I, what would be... Not... Oh, sorry, Ross. Go ahead. Let's... I'll, I'll say my thing after you guys go. Okay, because we're going to do our rankings now of the okay. indie films. So Dylan, mm-hmm. what's your ranking? It's hard, man. Obviously, Raiders is number one sure uh geez man number two is hard i just i have not seen i have not seen last crusade in a while i think i'm gonna watch it today after we finish recording just because i haven't seen it in a while we've been talking about it and i really like temple of doom so for now i'm gonna say raiders temple of doom last crusade king with the crystal skull but it's so close between Last Crusade and Temple of Doom that they might switch. It is, it is like, like very, very close between the two of them. I might switch it. I just have not seen uh, Last Crusade in a while. And I've seen Temple of Doom a lot because I think it's awesome. Nice. All right. My list is Raiders, Last Crusade, Temple of Doom, and then Crystal Skull. Far behind that. Wow, big surprise. <laughs> but... Yeah, I'm excited to see where Dial of Destiny falls in. But, yeah. So, Ross, what were you going to say before? My question for both of you. Mm-hmm. What do you think the big mystical element of Dial of Destiny is? <laughs> you know, Raiders, Raiders has the Ark of the Covenant. We have the stones. We have the chalice. We have aliens. What, so do you what's, mean, going what's going on in the dial of destiny is it then? not just a dial <laughs> yeah do you mean I like mean, the artifact itself like the dial or like what is the what do you mystical think the mystical power behind the it mystical element of this film is it time travel uh, you tell me i mean dial hey i'm gonna I'm destiny gonna guess time does travel. sound like time travel in a way and nazis could want to turn back time right yeah since they lost so i feel like that would make bunch sense. of losers exactly <laughs> sore losers if they did time travel, <laughs> that would probably be a bridge too far, I would say. Aliens, I can accept that, but time, time travel in an indie film. Might get a little convoluted. I can see that happening. Yeah, I don't know all that. So, yeah, it does seem because Dial of Destiny. So, what would it be? Like either predicting the future or being able to reshape time in a way. Very interesting. Well, I'll let you figure that one out when you Got go ready. see it in theaters. But, neat. Need so indeed. Did you like it or dislike I, it? The power? I liked it. I liked okay. it. I I thought it was fun. It like still has that indie spirit of like, you know, globe trotting and figuring out what's going on. Um I feel like this one is not as concise as like Raiders is as far as like like telling you exactly like I feel like the threat of this one is not as like 
directly spoken as far as like raiders with mm. you know knowing that they're going to use the arc as like a weapon um right. but it's still interesting i think this well this one is the one that isn't directed by spielberg and i think i was definitely able to tell that it wasn't and that it was james mangold um in a good but, way or a bad way i mean there's only one real way right well i think it can be refreshing it can be refreshing perhaps but even then like given the crystal skull there's still those sequences that are excellent yeah um, so think... yeah spielberg on a bad day is still like better than 95 percent yeah. of any director I think there were there's scenes that are like spectacular that Mangold like really crushes. Um, but there's also some moments where I was like, man, I could see how Spielberg would shoot this different. Like I could I know there are moments like like when he's initially in the temple in Raiders, when he's like switching out the idol with the bag of sand and just how well that's how well that's performed. Um, there's moments like that that are missing from dial of destiny that i really wish were there to like up the drama but there's no uh no ceiling shot from the bar fight in raiders remember that one so good what a great (laughs) shot like out of nowhere shot just an amazing immaculate shot like oh my god the framing on that beautiful Mm -hmm. so yeah things like that will definitely be sorely missed um in Dial of Destiny, I'm sure. But, I mean, yeah, James Mangold is really solid of an action director. So, yeah. yeah. Sounds like some of the sequences do pop. But oh. Sadly, not all. But that's still good. It's something to look forward to. Get prepared for de-aging technology, my friend. Mm. Get prepared <laughs> for that. That doesn't seem, I mean, from the trailers, <laughs> it does not seem like it is going to look good. So, Would you like to know about this? I can I can explain as much as you'd like. In terms of what, like the quality of it, does it look good or not? The quality, the quality, and some elements about it. I would say I, no. Yeah, I okay. think I want to wait and see for myself. Okay, I have opinions on it, but I will withhold them for now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, I'm interested to see because I don't think it looks good, but maybe there will be a a nice surprise in theaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. All right, that yeah. about does it for our talk about Indiana Jones. For sure, Ooh. that is indeed all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at theboxofficeshowpod at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. If you like the show, please give us five stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to. Big shout out to Ross. Thank you so much for coming on. We had a lot of fun talking about Indiana Jones with you. Thanks for having me. Love being here. Of course, anytime, anytime. Uh, Be sure to tune in next week. Have a great rest of your day.